This is a weekly podcast to update you on the volcanic activity of the week. I'm one of your hosts, Alessandro Mosu. And I'm your other host, Corinne Jorgensen. We're PhD students at the University of Geneva. We study volcanoes and are here to give you all the hot volcano news. First, a quick update on some of the week's volcanic activity, and then we'll focus in on one topic. Let's go to it. It's June 21st at the time of recording, and here are your quick updates. Starting in the Americas, as usual, several harsh advisories from Sabancaya, Sangay, Nevado de Roots, Reventador, Fuego, Nevado de Chilan, and Popocatepetl. The winner for the highest plume of Americas competition is unexpectedly Sabancaya again, with a 7.6 km high plume, followed by Nevado de Roots and Sangay, both around 6.1 km, and Popocatepetl with 5.8 km. Activity is decreasing at Zemis Pochnai in the Aleutian Islands, Alaska. No ash admissions since the 30th of May, and there's been really low seismic activity, which has led to the alert level being lowered down to yellow. Activity is also decreasing at uh, Popocatepetl. The volcano is still producing steam and gases emissions, uh, which are allowing it to continue competing in the weekly highest American plume competition, <laughs> but the activity seems to be in a decreasing trend, with sporadic emission of steam and decreasing tremor activity. Okay, Sabancaya, our reigning champion for tallest American plume, uh, has been continuing its activity. From the 7th to the 13th of June, the volcano produced around uh, 79 volcanian eruptions per day, with eruptive columns reaching up to more than 7 kilometers in height and volcano tectonic earthquakes reaching 3.5 on the magnitude scale. The bulletin reports that ballistic impacts and pyroclastic flow can affect an area up to 12 kilometers away from the crater. Another risk may be linked to the formation of lahars, as we have already seen, in case of heavy rainfalls, there is often a risk that fresh material just deposited by uh, the volcano may be remobilized. In Europe, our Aeolian friend Stromboli in Italy has produced a short-lived lava flow running down the volcanic slope on Sierra de Fuoco. Did I say that right, Elsa? Yeah. Okay, good. In the <laughs> night between the 17th and the 18th of June, accompanied by rock falls on the slope. Continuing in Europe, we uh, already reported last week Mama Hetna that after a longer pause resumed its activity on the night between the 11th and the 12th of June, stronger than before. And after this eruption, the well-known every-today eruptive pattern has been restored. Indeed, only two days later, on the night between the 14th and the 15th of June, the European giant produced another paroxysm. Another very short paroxysm occurred the 16th between 2.8 p.m. and 2.50 p.m. local time, uh, another one on the 18th of June, and another one again the 19th night, and the last one between last night and today the 20th and the 21st of June. And his last fountain was pretty huge, almost 700 meters tall, uh, with the production of an impressively high ash column, estimated to be between 8 and 9 kilometers in height. Information which, if confirmed, would make Mamahetna the absolute winner of the weekly worldwide competition for the highest bloom. You just wanted Mamahetna to win everything. Oh, that's not true. <laughs> 
Europe has been very entertaining these last few weeks, um, with lots of eruptive behavior from Mama Edna, Stromboli doing some extra special things, and of course, Vagradasfjall has been, you know, a fixed appointment for us. Uh, the eruption is still continuing in Iceland and showing no signs of stopping. The continuous production of lava flows is feeding an expansion of the lava field. Uh, new earth walls are being built to prevent uh, lava to reach the Nathagariki area. I'm so sorry to all Icelanders and the coastal road. And if the eruption uh, will continue in that way, these walls might help to gain some time. But... I'm not sure that they can completely prevent this scenario. It's time to jump in Asia, where as usual we had ash advisories from several volcanoes from Tsunosojima, Lewotolo, Kariminski, Semeru, Ebekum, Ibu, Dukono, and Karimski. The winner of the Asian highest plume competition is Kariminski with 3.7 kilometers of ash plume. Green? Yes, Alessandro. Can we start a worldwide competition today? I, th- I mean, I thought it, we already had in your mind, but, but we can as long as we. Don't stop doing it once Mama Edna loses. Okay, deal. So, do you want to announce the world top three, Green? Okay, great. Yep. So, the height for Edna's columns has not been confirmed yet. The last paroxysm apparently got to nine kilometers in height, as you already mentioned, which put Mama Edna first place in the worldwide competition. Amazing, Corinne. Uh, I think that at the end of the year, we should publish the winner of 2021. You know Mama Emma's not going to win that. I'm pretty sure it's not. But now let's continue with our explosive news. The activity continues at Lewotolo, Indonesia. The volcano is producing a very regular strombolian activity with one two eruption per day, accompanied by small hash plumes rising up to 2.4 kilometers, definitely out of the world <laughs> competition. <laughs> okay, Merapi in Indonesia as well continues to grow its own lava dome. Uh, the block and ash flows that it's been producing during this past week uh, have been from a partial collapse of the dome. We already learned from La Soufre in St. Vincent how dangerous lava dome collapses can be. We're talking about really hot and turbulent avalanches of rock, ash, lava, and and all of this all combined, traveling down the slopes for several kilometers, reaching high velocities. For that reason, the alert level remains high at three on a scale from one to four, and the population has been warned to stay pretty far away from the volcano, at least five kilometers from the erupting vent. Now we have just to fly a bit from Indonesia to Japan in the Ryukyu Highland, where Zwanosojima eruption is continuing, with suggestive night glowings and volcanic explosion producing dense ash emissions up to 2.5 km in height and pyroclastic bomb ejection nearby the crater, only around 500 meters away from it, but the warning bulletin states that they can impact on an area of about 1 km of distance. That's it for the quick update, thanks uh, to our sources, Volcano Discovery and the Smithsonian Global Volcanism Institution program. So it's time for the focus. It's time for the focus. We should go for it. So volcanoes are strange and wonderful things, and they have lots of spicy side effects, as Alessandro mentioned last week with volcanic lightning. But volcanoes have some cool relatives that we can talk about too. So this week we're going to talk about water volcanoes as I like to think about them so geysers um 
Alessandro, have you ever seen a geyser? No, I never. I would like to, but I never had this cool occasion. They're super duper cool. They're super cool. They're like, yeah. And it's amazing how well they're timed. Like, this is incredible. So, you, you can sync your clock on them. Almost, almost <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, the word geyser comes from the Icelandic word geyser. Uh, similar to Jokulaps, the Icelanders are very good at naming things, uh, volcanic related things. Um, but at least this one I can pronounce. Um, so that's good. <laughs> so, geysers there aren't actually that common. Alessandro, do you know how many geysers there are worldwide? No idea i can try to guess yeah i guess yeah i don't know i would say 150 okay wow uh amazing you would have guessed lower and i would have guessed way higher there's um according to johnstonarchive.net there are a thousand and forty one active geysers and 52 percent of them are in yellowstone national park that's right, the Yellowstone super volcano we all know and love and are obsessed with. You are obsessed with Yellowstone. I'm not. Yeah. I'm just obsessed with Etna. Just I don't want to make Etna jealous of. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. So how do they work? So in a really broad sense, geysers are the product of magmatic heat causing water to boil, decompress, and erupt. But of course, they're a little bit more complicated than that. So there were two early thoughts that these eruptions were caused by either an increase of pressure exerted by expansion of steam trapped in a subsurface cavity. So this is like, uh, you know, you can think about it like a cave underwater. So this was from Mackenzie et al. in 1811. And then there was another thought that maybe they were caused by ascent-driven boiling in the conduit, um, which was proposed by Bunsen in 1847. Now, there's been measurements that can confirm both existence of these ideas. And there's also some other ideas floating around with bubble nucleation, more details regarding heat convection and the conduit processes. But the simplified working model you'll find in most places is that generally there's a large reservoir, water reservoir at depth that has a connection to the surface from a small side or top tube slash conduit kind of thing. The thought is that the, the water that's in this reservoir is superheated um, by connection with magmatic heat. So it's superheated in this reservoir and the top of that reservoir acts kind of like a lid of a pressure cooker and the water remains liquid past its boiling point. But then at some point, the temperature at the bottom of this reservoir will go high enough and then we'll get to a point where the the, the water at the bottom will boil over and potentially this vents the system and allows the superheated liquid to flash into steam and burst out of the vent slash conduit and go up through the surface. There's a review paper by Hertz, Witz, and Menga in 2017 who actually point out though that there isn't any reliable published data to prove that the water is superheated at depth, which I think is really cool because I remember <laughs> hearing in school that it's always superheated, superheated. But interestingly enough, there's anecdotal data. So like this is basically stories that people have said um, from the late 19th century slash earliest 20th century where um, people dumped soap into the geyser and this led to the eruptions, the geyser eruptions happening early than they normally would. And essentially the thought is that this removes a, some sort of kinetic barrier for bubble nucleation from the superheated water or that the soap has lowered the boiling temperature of the water. And I don't know what you think about this, but I think dumping soap into a geyser is hilarious, but also very risky business. It's like a really easy way to get super badly injured. And like, I would not recommend that to anyone. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, so why are geysers so uncommon? So, yeah, I really thought there would have been, like, you know, several, several thousands of them. So the reason why they're so uncommon is you kind of have to have a, several things to line up. One, you need an active or a recent magmatic system that still is staying pretty hot. You need a decent-sized water reservoir, no water, no geyser. And you need a system that allows the geometry for a geyser system. So lots of things need to, to line up. Now, Alessandro, since you've never been to one, you might be wondering to yourself, where can I see a geyser? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. You just told me that the 52% are in Yellowstone, so I probably will go yeah. there. Yeah, okay. so Yellowstone <laughs> is probably the place you want to go. There's actually a lot of them in Kamchatka. I think Kamchatka has like 30% of the geysers in the world, which is maybe a little bit less accessible. Um, Iceland, of course, is also a great option for seeing geysers. There's a fam famous one called Geyser in, in Iceland. Um, and there's actually a really cool thing about this. If you visit this geyser, you can potentially eat rye bread that is cooked underground at the geyser, which I think this is incredible. I think we should start a new segment <laughs> called Volcanic Foods, Food Cooked in Volcanoes. I, yeah, incredible. that's amazing. I'm just wondering if I can boil the pasta there. You want to boil the pasta at Etna or in the geyser? The geyser. Mm, potentially. I don't know. I saw people do pizza and pacaya, so I can do whatever I want. <laughs> Kaya, uh, pasta in uh, Iceland. Yeah, 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 I think it's a good idea. Okay, anyways, that's it for, for the focus. Thanks to our sources, the USGS Yellowstone Caldera Chronicles, which is a weekly column from the folks at the Yellowstone Volcano Observatory. It's very cool, I recommend. And also the Hertzwitz and Mangan uh, 2017 review paper of geyser eruptions. You can follow us on our social, Twitter and Instagram at volcano underscore watch. Thank you for spending your time with us and see you next week. Thanks, bye. Bye.